Welcome to the Behind the Goals podcast, the podcast about fans, for fans and by fans. Please welcome your hosts, Andrew Jenkin and Alan Russell. Hello and welcome to Behind the Goals podcast. This week we're speaking to Justin Wally, author of One Football No Net, uh, which tells the incredible story of how Justin went on to become the Matabeleland manager at the Kanifa World Cup last summer, which is the World Cup organised for nations not recognised by FIFA. Um, and we really discussed the book and his story in depth uh, uh, and really the steps that led to him being involved in, and, 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 and how he managed to take Matabeleland to the World Cup and all the ensuing issues involved in that, such as visa issues. Uh, Justin was in Zimbabwe. Barbway, which is where Matabili Land is situated, at a really fascinating time towards the end of Robert Mugabe's 40-year reign as um, president or whatever you would want to call Mr. Mugabe. Anyway, so this this is really a, a story about his time in the country, um, and, and we'll cut straight to it because it is fascinating. However, one thing I do want to say is if you if you listen to the interview and you're interested to to read Justin's book, there's a competition to win a copy of Justin's book on the Africa on the Ball Twitter account, which is at Africa on the Ball um, on Twitter. And we'll put the uh, link in the program notes for this week's episode. So if you are interested in, in reading the book for yourself, which I can't recommend enough, I think I say that in the interview, please do go and check that out on Twitter. Otherwise, this is Justin Wally, former manager of Matabili Land. So, Justin, thank you very much for joining us on uh, Behind the Goals. Uh, absolute pleasure to have you up here in Scotland. Yeah, thanks for inviting me up. When was the last time you were in Scotland? Uh, I was in... I'm trying to think. I, I came up here... I travelled around the islands. So you know I do a bit... I like my travelling. I, I travelled around the islands in 2005, I think. Um all the way up to Orkney and Shetland and then onto the Faroe Islands and stuff. But the last time I was in Glasgow, where I've come up from today, was for the England-Scotland uh, playoff, <laughs> um, which England won 2-0. Um, and I, I, it was funny, I, I stopped off a mate in Motherwell, mm-hmm. had breakfast with him, he was a Scotland supporter, and we went our separate ways, and I put my Northampton Town flag up in the stadium. And he, he walked into the stadium. The first thing he saw was that. And apparently, he went mental because <laughs> <laughs> he'd had about five pints and he wanted to kill me. Uh, uh, so yeah, that was the. I think that was the last time. Yeah. And just for uh, balance, did you also go to the game at uh, Wembley? I did, which was England were rubbish, and uh, we could have we could have thrown it away because we lost that one 0 That's right. It was Don Hutchinson. It was rubbish, actually. I remember. Um, but uh, yeah, good memories from from being up in Glasgow last time. Yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't, didn't spend much time out in Glasgow that particular time. <laughs> um, so we mostly talk about Matabili Land and your experiences and writing the book One Ball No Nets and um, everything that sort of the bad well of Justin Wally over the last two years. Sure. Uh, but I want to sort of go back to where the story started, I guess, and. Because you were you'd previously take you know, when when we get to the part about Matty Beeland, you find out what a massive project it was. But it's not your first project in football because yeah. you'd been working with Riga United in yeah. Latvia. So how did you sort of become international coach and what, you know how explain the kind of steps how it came to be and what you were doing in Latvia at the time and when you decided this is what you wanted to do. It was all. Uh in many ways a complete accident because I, I moved to 
to Riga originally just it was a place I went backpacking and fell in love with mm-hmm. fell in love with the Baltics and I just decided to to move there and try and make a life there so I was uh, I was teaching English in a school and um, I played a bit of football there was a British embassy football team funny thing was half the team were actually Danish right <laughs> uh, Gary Johnson the uh, ex-Bristol City man he's I think he's at Torquay now I'm not okay. sure um, his son's the more famous man these days at Bristol City isn't he um, Gary was the manager of Latvia at the time so he I, I played with Gary a couple of times in that team and then the team disbanded and there was there was no obvious place to, to play football for foreigners and a lad that I taught English with we just he's a West Ham boy actually All right. uh, we used to just just say oh, we missed, missed playing and one particular day we said why don't we why don't we hire a mm-hmm. hire a gym out and really, I suppose if you fast forward from that, we're talking. I think we're talking two thousand, two thousand and one at this stage. And out of that, there came a, a team. And as the years progressed, there sort of became a regular training. Some other lads got involved who who drove that on. So you go all the way to two thousand and six, and we had we we kind of had a, a an organised team that was then then playing eight aside league, eleven mm-hmm. aside. Uh, touring teams from the UK and stuff and at that point uh, and I wasn't a mass I wasn't I wasn't massively involved at that stage to be to be fair and um, Austin Nicholas the the lad who then founded Rigi United I sat down with him and we we came up with the the actual name of the team Mm -hmm. the the badge the kit uh, and the plan for taking a we went to up to the Latvian Football Federation said we wanted to be a, a real club and all this stuff. So that was 2000, 2007. Um, so then the club the club kind of developed because Latvia was then part of the European Union, so lots of people were moving over to Latvia. Mm. Increasingly, it was better and better players. You've got ex, ex-pro players or you've got lads that could have played. At, I think we had a couple of lads played in the Austrian First Division and stuff like that who started to join the club. Um we had a lad, Manu, who's a mate of mine from Cameroon, and he got offered actually a trial with Terry Butcher up. Right. up, up um, I always remember, was it Caledonian or uh, Inverness? Ross, yep. Inverness. Yeah, yeah. So we got him the trial actually, but uh, then he wasn't he wasn't given a visa. Okay. So I was gutted <laughs> for him. Recurring pattern of this story. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah, do you know what I mean? <laughs> lad from Cameroon. <laughs> um, yeah. So. It, it, that that was um, the the club was the club was developing again. I was in and out of things because I, I was I, I wasn't in Latvia a lot of the time. I was in different places and traveling and what have you. And really, my big involvement came only from two thousand eleven, mm. and I I went back to Latvia, and I said. Um, I'd like to take this much more seriously. And we, there was a few of us, um, we sat down and said, you know, can we make this, uh, um, can we coach, say, three times a week um, on a good surface? Can we can we go and play on the 3G at Skonto? Mm-hmm. Um, we had a, a lad called Jeffrey Young, who was a UEFA B lad who coached in um, the US and Holland, and, and he, he became the, the manager of the team. Mm. So I was his assistant at that point. 
I, I then went and did my I did my level two. I'd, I'd got the prelim badge way back in '96, but I'd not really done too much with it. Mm-hmm. So I joined uh, with Jeff. So we put on these coaching sessions. Just took it very seriously. We were coaching in the international schools. We we created um, a kids academy. Uh, we we very quickly had a age range all the way through the club mm-hmm. from sort of five years up to under under seventeen boys and girls. Um, the men's team we then said can can we take this to national league mm-hmm. it's not like here here where you'd have to go through perhaps you know 10, ten divisions to get there it's just that's that's about the structure of the club and and ticking a lot of boxes and yep. make, making it a, a, a proper institution making it a charity or whatever it is that you, the way you go with it um, and it's a lot of work you've got to you've got to have a, what you'd call your own ground even if you're renting it for a lot of money mm. you've got to have your own ground you've got to have a lot of um, infrastructure in sort place licensing requirements yeah basically. yeah all yeah. your players have got to be licensed I mean it's a proper football club yeah yeah. there's a lot that you've got to have all the board and you've got to have all the finances set up and yeah. you've got to pay quite a lot of money to, to join the league sure. different things I think it was about two grand just to join the league yeah so we did all that you know a group of us and it would have been I get mixed up. I think it's the beginning of t- 2013. We we made our debut in the Latvian second division, which is right. the third tier. Right. Um, so what you've got in Latvia, you've got Premier League, First League, and then you've got regional second leagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were playing in the Vidzema region. So we were in the third tier, um, which was, yeah, absolutely incredible because suddenly we mostly mates yeah. and most of us that were involved with the project played and suddenly we were finishing games and going over to clap our supporters mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. 50 100 people at the games it's just it's just it's, that must have been quite a rewarding experience having had that sense of you know playing such a big part in the development of something like that and it's still going today yeah and- yeah it was um, i mean i was I was 42 and I made my National League, European National League debut. Yeah. Um, and I captained the team that day. I wasn't going to be the captain, actually. The lad who was captain, who'd been made captain, he actually came over to me and said, I think you should be captain today. Right. Because you've been with this all these years, which yeah. was amazing. I was Graham. I, I never forget that he did that. Yeah. Um, so I had the captain's armband on and I was just... Yeah, yeah, picked up the first ever booking actually <laughs> um, for simulation. Oh, really? Of but I things. wasn't. But but I was pulled down. Should uh-huh. have been a penalty, uh-huh. and I think I would have taken it. So I would have scored on our uh, first ever. I've never missed a penalty in a match, so I believe uh-huh. I would have scored. So, but that was yeah. It was it was absolutely incredible. And from that, we 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 just had a group of us who were very passionate about what we're doing and believed mm. in what we were doing, and we. We treated it as a full-time project, and and was it a full-time project? Or yeah, you were still working. Uh, and- yeah, well, it was essentially. I, I was doing a bit of journalism right. at the time, but uh-huh. it was um, it was voluntary, really. Mm-hmm. Um, at the start, it was completely voluntary. Um, eventually, we, we we were able to to pay the um, youth team coaches, right? Because uh, that was important for the development. Um, but at the start, it was just. A passion and a belief in what we were doing and we just said let's do this and yeah we were able to go and coach in the international schools and get paid going in there but essentially it was mm. yeah so suddenly we've got two men's teams mm-hmm. we've got kids teams from four or five to 16 
and then we got a ladies team. Yeah. So yeah. the ladies team started so it was 2015, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's what you. Um, yeah. yeah, that was again an accident. It wasn't um. planned. Uh, a lady called Marit, a Norwegian medical student, just contacted me, asked if she'd heard about Rig United. I'm not sure she might even have got the wrong club. Right. Because the main girls' football club uh, was Riga Football School. Okay. So I'm not sure she even didn't get okay. us by accident. Okay. But she contacted me and said, could you could you give me any advice on, on, on the uh, a women's football team? I said, well, we haven't got one. Right. And I was about to put her in contact with these other teams. And I said, well, I tell you what, what do you think about us starting one ourselves? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, I'll be up for that. I said, how many people do you think you can get from your medical uni Stradinch University she said well why don't I put a message out she said I know at least four or five girls mostly from Norway they're really good I said well I know a couple of Latvian girls who who don't play in the National League but like playing Mm -hmm. let's organise a training session Mm -hmm. and the first training session we had I don't know 15, 18 girls come down brilliant and some of the girls were absolutely brilliant Mm -hmm. Um, and I just thought well I'll tell you what you know we could have quite a decent team here Mm -hmm. married herself an unbelievable player technically better than most of the men mm-hmm. that we had mm-hmm. um, so yeah we started it our first ever game was in the semi-final of the cup because we got a bye from the quarters <laughs> um, because of the number of hours that worked out and so we played in front of I don't know 150 people in the first ever game wow. I think which was a record for Latvian football yeah full stadium um yeah, we lost 3-1, but that was against the second best team in the country. So and the first game is not yeah, bad. And we yeah. were 3-0 down at half-time, so uh-huh. we came back to 3-1. And um, Yeah, the, the Football Federation were very, very helpful at the time and said, yeah, you can come in and play next season. So, so we did everything and we brought the team in and uh, we ended up with the bronze medal in the league. Uh, it's a small league, but we got the bronze medal. There was there's, there's two tiers at that stage, okay. so we we were allowed to go straight into the top tier because okay. they felt that our infrastructure, the number of players we had, everything we were doing, was, mm-hmm. we could play in a top top league. Um, so we went in, did all right, yeah, and then yeah, just we ended we ended up then we had two women's teams, so we had a we had a second team playing in the second tier, right. Oh yeah, and then it just became you know two men's teams, two women's teams, all those all uh-huh. those kids teams. Uh-huh. It's suddenly the pitch costs are two thousand a month rent. Mm. Uh, you know the clubs turn. You, you, you're having to find fifty grand mm. to get the club to to turn over in a year. Mm-hmm. So everybody's paying to play, apart from the international players, right? Who of of whom we had you know two full internationals for the ladies and maybe three youth team internationals. Um, so, became became very stressful, but yeah, you yeah. You, you you've achieved. You've, yeah. you've taken it from 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 nothing to something which yeah. which, which had a lovely brand as well, and people aware of. Yeah, in, in, all over all over Europe in, in a way. Uh, and I'm already getting a sense from you saying that and, and telling that story of the passion that you've got, and also the, the a the passion to make things better, but b not going in half heartedly. But if we're going to do it 
going to go fall in you know yeah. if you're going to get wet you might as well go swimming yeah. kind of thing and so actually just committing and, and de- being dedicated to developing it and making it as good as it can be so I already get that impression and that's obviously so after that you kind of have uh, something an inkling thinking I could do this I could do this on a on a different scale or something else at what point do you go I've been an international coach I want to go and apply myself on a, on a sort of international stage I thought actually at the time I thought you know what we've done with Rig United I could go somewhere else mm. and start Prague United mm-hmm. or Astana United or whatever you, you you could you could take that 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 philosophy of how we ran that club and do it somewhere else and have a community club because what what we had is we had Latvians Russian Latvians and foreigners all in one team all in one community mm-hmm. it's the only club mm-hmm. it was the only club like that in Latvia it's the only club really like that in Latvia still there's a club in Estonia um, but they modelled a lot of what they've done on us mm. yeah it's an Italian club a uh, run club but they like what we did so they went and applied it there um, so I thought I thought maybe I could go and do this somewhere else uh, but I didn't um, and what happened was I just got to the point actually I was just exhausted by it all I was a bit, yeah. I, I got ill and I think that was connected I ended up in hospital I think that was connected to stress with the club Okay. and I just promised myself at one point that I was going to leave uh-huh. and um, it had taken its toll on my relationship with my girlfriend as well and I just said right that's it I'm leaving in six months to, at the end of the following season I'm going I'm going travelling with my girlfriend and we're going to decide what comes next mm-hmm. And at that point, I, I decided I wanted to go into uh, elephant uh-huh. cons- conservation. That's uh-huh. what I wanted to do. I wanted to quit football. Uh-huh. And that's almost where the book starts, isn't it? From yeah. memory, it's what you, you're sort yeah. of trying to plan the next stage of your life. And I think I remember you saying you write down a list of things you want to do and and um, an international manager is, is on there. I'm, all, I'm big on writing stuff down. Yeah. I think everyone should do it. Uh, Maybe it works with a with a phone, but I get I just say get you know get a pen and paper and just scribble down ideas. Mm-hmm. And it could be look, but one of the things I want I've written down for years is I want to see Paul Van Dyke in concert, and I'm going to see him tonight <laughs> in Glasgow. You know yeah. that, that's yeah. been on that list of things. I keep saying, oh, I want to do this. I want to do this. Now it's quite a trivial thing, but there are things on there. Like I said, I wanted to be um, an English teacher in Japan. And it was probably 10 or 12 years after I first wrote it down, I ended up doing it. Right. Now, that might have disappeared from the list because when you reinvent the lists every few months, it's not. this isn't a December the 31st sure. thing. This is something you suddenly have the mood for it. Um, there's lots of things on there. And actually, way, way back, one of the things I'd had was I wanted to play international football. Uh, this is a bit like the Paul Watson story in a way. I, th- I, I thought of going to somewhere like the Pacific mm-hmm. in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to a country where the, the the level was fairly poor, and I imagined myself kind of being there, and ended up getting national national sure. citizenship, national citizenship yeah. Yeah. and uh, playing for somewhere somewhere. I don't want to insult any team, but you know somewhere in the somewhere in the South Pacific. So I won't I won't say anywhere particularly, but uh, I never did it. But you know the story. I, I ended up <laughs> playing playing international football for nine minutes last year. But yeah, the, it. I I just think it's. In, it's amazing you can you can stick those ideas out there and somehow they kind of they kind of they kind of end up happening somehow mm. so the international coach idea was just just an idea that I wrote down in yeah in the monastery 
in the stop. But, that's right, yeah. Um, I don't know if that's the first time I'd ever consciously thought of it now, but I just wrote that down on my new list. And a series of coincidences and a, a series of me pushing in that direction ends with me becoming an international football coach in Matabili land. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what was so you have, you have this um, chance to evaluate everything in your life. You've 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 just gone through something that's been quite stressful. You want a kind of a fresh look and a fresh perspective. So you make this list. International football manager is on there. What are the what are the steps that you take to try and make that a reality? And how do you ultimately end up with Matabili land? I was going shortly after that. I'd um, well around that time I decided to go. There was a Connie for. AGM taking place in Switzerland. And that's the organisation for the countries that aren't recognised by, by FIFA. FIFA as being yes. nations or... Exactly. Yeah. So I, I'd i had an invitation to go along to the AGM. I wasn't sure if I was going. It was around that time. I was at, around the time of the Macedonian monastery thing. Mm. And I almost thought, I'm not going to go because Switzerland's so damn expensive. Do I really want to go? And... and and at that point, where I said I want to be, I want to be an international. I thought, no, I'll go. I'll go to this event. It'll be interesting. So, it's it's only a couple of weeks later. I'm in Switzerland. I'm at the Connie for AGM. I love what it's about because I didn't really know. Mm. So you got all these weird and wonderful countries, de facto states, what have you. you so know. just what are who are some of the members? So at that AGM, I remember there was a. A, a heated debate between I think Punjab and Abkhazia um, and I just remember thinking this is unbelievable this is fantastic yeah. I love this yeah because with my travels you know there's even places I've, I've never been myself yeah you know, I think I'm well travelled I was like Punjab and Abkhazia are kind of having a row about something and not you know it, 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 a well-meaning row but um, and I thought oh, I like this and uh yeah, there was all kinds of people like uh, Tibet and Tuvalu, mm -hmm. uh, Kurdistan were in mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And I liked how open it was and everything else. And afterwards, I spoke to uh, the president, Pair. I spoke to the general secretary, Sasha. And I said, I'd be quite interested in, in joining. This. It's a voluntary organisation. Um, Jens, who was doing uh, Asia, said, yeah, he vouched for me. He said, bring Justin in. So they, after a, after a couple of months, they said, do you fancy taking on Connie for Africa? Mm -hmm. So that's where that, that, that part of the story comes in. And when I was at the event, I just, I, I realised a lot of these teams had no finance, their football development's quite, it's quite limited, just, just by circumstances. And I also thought, oh gosh, you know, I could potentially work with one of these teams mm -hmm. in some way. So I went away from it and I started I started thinking about some of those teams. I started thinking about. I, I suddenly realised there's there's even countries in the world don't have, there's specific states that don't have proper teams. Mm -hmm. um, there's places which call them de facto states, or they're you know they're islands that belong to a country that mm. somehow they're not then they don't really have a particularly a, a big football team that's playing internationally. Mm. And I also thought of women's teams. I thought. Um, there are federations if you go back a couple of years ago the federations that are in FIFA they're not really playing they're, they're not playing games mm. they, they've got no one in there driving it um, in places as well where they don't really want particularly want women's football mm. and I thought oh maybe I can go to blah 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 land and 
help run women's football there. Sure. So yeah, I started writing to various people and the FIFA stuff, that never went anywhere. I got a couple of answers, but it was just like, no, forget it. Mm -hmm. Um, And at one point I started talking to a Pacific Island um, about myself and, and, and a friend of mine, Tony McMullen, who's a He's a coach. He's coaching out in Riga now with a club called uh, AFK Alliance. And we talked about, um, I said to Tony, what What do you think of you and I going in and uh, as, as joint managers? And we ended up getting offered um, the role of joint managers of a particular country. Mm. Uh, but that, so we were, we were close. So we were a couple of weeks off flying out mm. to the Pacific. For reasons I won't go into now, it just it all it Never. fell through. Yeah, uh, yeah. It didn't happen, and I was gutted because you know, <laughs> I fulfilled my dream of being a, a um, an international football manager, but having never actually no one ever knew. I couldn't tell anybody. I'd never I'd never met the players. I'd never gone there. But in my head, I'd fulfilled it. But sure. I just I thought, what do I do now? And um, just just coincidences and luck I, I was speaking to Paul Watson um, Paul Watson so I, I'm just trying Paul wrote a book didn't he called Play Up Pompeii yeah, which is so about his experiences going to manage as a an tiny little yeah, yeah. yeah. so he, he'd managed that in Micronesia mm. in Pompeii and he's also worked out in Mongolia right so Paul I'd, I'd mentioned earlier he, mm. he, he'd had this fantasy about going and playing international football but instead of playing football he ended up being a manager yeah. so that started a team yeah so Paul and I are very much on the same page with all this and football development and having a bit of fun around it. Mm. And, and Paul said, and, and Sasha, the General Secretary of Conifer, said, you, you, are you aware that uh, Matabililand are looking for someone? Um, and at the same time, Paul talked about, he said, if, if, if you're interested, I can get you to go out to Micronesia. Mm. So suddenly I had the option of Micronesia and potentially Zimbabwe. Mm. When, it, when I'd gone... I'd, you know, a week earlier, I'd had nothing back on the table. Mm-hmm. So, very excited. Then I was thinking, oh yeah, Micronesia, beautiful, you know, paradise, I'll go out there. And then Matabidilana thought, no, they're in the World Cup. They're in the Connie for World Cup. Being held in London. Being held in London, a long way off, you know, almost a year off at that stage. So, I, I, I spoke to Busani, the, the, the head of the FA in Matabidilana, and, and I was just really super I'm not just saying I'm really super impressed with what he had to say and mm. they were already playing lots of games they were training four times a week mm. they had a vision for the development not just for the team but for the community and he sold me he sold me it really and uh, he liked the fact that I'd been involved with the, the Reg United project which to some extent very similar um, in terms of limited resources and mm. growing something and I travelled quite a bit in Africa, and yeah, he just said, "Well, did you want to come out?" So, yeah, I I agreed and set off, and just thought, "Look, I'll give this a give this a try." At the end of the day, I might get to the border, and they might just say, "No, you're not coming in," mm-hmm. and that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. But I can always say, you know, I was an international manager, even if I never saw my players. <laughs> so, just explain a little bit about the setup of Matabeleland in Zimbabwe, because how. They've got a Zimbabwe FA and then yeah. a Matabiland FA, and how does it kind of because it's within Zimbabwe, isn't it? Yes. But how does the setup work, and how, who were they playing? Were they, you know? So Matabiland set up. It's their own. It's a football confederacy, so it's their own body. 
Um, so it's not it's not within uh, Zifa. Um, you know, it's if if you want to play for the Zimbabwe national team, you can play for any team in in Zimbabwe mm-hmm. or or abroad or what have you. But you can be called up for the national team to play for Matabili Land. Um, essentially, it's kind of the same thing in a way. You you could just have to be from Matabili Land though. Uh, but we could call anybody up. They could be playing for uh, teams that are recognised by FIFA. Mm. could be playing for teams in the Zimbabwe Premier League, for example, if those teams are happy to release okay. the players. Okay. Uh, so we had we had a couple of lads who were playing first or second league teams in Zimbabwe. So technically they could play for the Zimbabwe national team. Right. Um but we had our own jurisdiction. It, you know, it's, it's in a way, it's like a club team. Yeah, really. it's like setting up a club team and saying, "You, do you want to come and play for this?" But you weren't playing in a league per se. It was no, it was no. Uh, friendlies that you were. playing. Yeah, we yeah. played uh, when I joined. Uh, some people think that I led them to qualification. I didn't. They'd already qualified. They'd already played lots of. Games. And what what is the qualification process? <laughs> if you're not because of the re- lack of resources, if you can't go and play fellow Connie for members then you just play you play friendlies and the higher the calibre of the team the more points you okay. get you know if you're playing a sixth league team you get like a point but if you if you pay a fellow Connie for member and you win you might get I can't remember you might get five points or something right so they went and played Barotsi land which is in, in, in neighbouring Zambia so they, they did 20 hours on chicken buses and went and played and, and, and beat them mm-hmm. so that was a big factor in this mm-hmm. That's what, it's a Connie for member mm-hmm. uh, but then they played they just constantly played games. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, I think they played too many games, but they constantly played games. They qualified. So yeah, when when I went in, they we just played. We just played friendlies. Yeah, um, there's a dream to create. I think a structure with the MFC where we've got clubs inside mm. of that structure. Um, but for the moment, I think it's a case of you just. You know, you can bring players in from from anywhere. It's mm-hmm. just it's just a body that represents Matabili Land football. Sure. And where whereabouts geographically is it within Zimbabwe? Yeah, so it's western Western Zimbabwe. So um, if you imagine kind of getting a bus from Johannesburg, which is something I did several times, that's probably why I'm thinking it in those terms. You head up, you head up north, um, and you hit Bulawayo after 15 hours. Which is the capital of um, <coughs> Matabili Land, so Western Zimbabwe. Okay. So that borders, you're bordering uh, Botswana um, and you're bordering, you go up to Victoria Falls, mm. so you're, you're bordering Zambia. Yeah. Uh, most of, most, uh, it's a big section geographically of the country. Yeah. Um, in terms of Matabili, Endibeli people, it's about 20% of the population, I think, whereas 80% roughly are. Um, Shona. Okay. Okay. And so at the, at the t- this is 2006, 17, 17 that you've moved there? Yeah, I'm so bad. I'm so bad. <laughs> it's a bit of a whirlwind uh, couple of years for you, but. Yeah, yeah this, is, this is beginning of, what would it be? Beginning of October 2017. Yeah. And so the political situation in Zimbabwe, Robert Mugabe's still president. So what was it like in terms of the economy of the country I remember in something in the book you wrote about the players came to training and actually it was cheaper for them to be drinking Coca-Cola than it was water 
Which is typical in Africa, yeah. to be honest. Typical in the developing world. Um, because a lot of the bottled water, for example, is, is owned by companies like Coca-Cola. So they, mm. they, they, they want people, dare I say it, you know, drinking certain drinks. So it's not cheap. Zimbabwe is not cheap. And the currency, uh, there's, there's a thing called the bond dollar, which is pegged to the US dollar. But what was happening was that uh, the two, the, the, the one-to-one was effectively breaking away. So there's a black market. Okay. For, if you've got US dollars and you change them over into bond dollar, you're going to get a lot more. Okay. So having having foreign currency is king. There's a lack of foreign currency. Uh, so this is this is kicking into the inflationary issue that's there. Um, there's obviously people that control certain businesses. So products were coming in from South Africa, but for some reason they're being sold at two or three times the price. Mm. Of South Africa, uh, so it, it's it's really tough. And from the moment I got there, you could see that something was unraveling mm-hmm. economically and politically. I I made a point of well, when you walk around Bulawayo, there's there's um, newspaper headlines stands everywhere. Uh, some of them are very comical, but some of them are very serious. So every day that you're walking around, you could see that there were stories about things that were going on, especially inside the ZANU-PF. And it was pretty apparent that something something big was, mm-hmm. was, was coming. And within about a month of me being there, they suddenly uh, pulled Robert Mugabe, mm-hmm. uh, t- took the tanks up to his house and said, right, mate, you're... Your time is done. Mm-hmm. And what was what was that like? That because he had been ruler of that country for so long, almost forty years. Almost forty years. What what was the kind of feeling on the street amongst the the everyday person? Well, of course, the, the, there was also this period from when he was under I don't know what you want to call it house arrest, or there'd been a coup, or there'd not been a coup, um, where he didn't quit, he didn't resign, yeah, and it just yeah. went on and on and on. And it got quite scary because there were stories that the Zam- Zambian military were going to come in. I don't know how, if that was ever a, a possibility, but there was all kinds of scary stories that was going to turn into a civil war and all this. But it, it all passed peacefully. But there were a couple of days where it was scary because it felt like it wasn't going to happen and maybe mm. he was going to... Um, this was going to switch on itself and he was going to remain in power there was going to be a massive purge of people in the army etc etc so that was the uncertainty was quite scary I think for everyone Mm. and at at that point I was very close to I was very close to leaving the country Mm -hmm. I just I didn't know whether to stick or twist really at Mm. that point Um, but I I just I hung in and thankfully things passed they passed peacefully and the transition to the to the new president at mm-hmm. the time was at that point it was it, everything felt better the people felt relieved they they thought it was the beginning of a new a new tomorrow mm-hmm. um, even people that were cynical I think a lot of people thought things were gonna improve massively yeah and so yeah big celebrations in the streets that night and all sorts of ongoing carnage <laughs> ensuing carnage yeah stuff I'll, I'll never forget that the, the night that he finally stepped down it was just it was bonkers yeah we were at football training and we just suddenly heard all these car lorry hooters coming from all different directions um, I was like what is going on all this noise was coming from 
we just out in the field in the middle of nowhere almost. And there was a lad over from the UK, our UK uh, head of UK for Matabu Land Football, and uh, I said, "What's going on, mate?" He said, "Oh, he's gone." And uh, I thought he was laughing at one of our players because he just play, plays well over the bar. I think he said, "No, Garby's gone." So I, I actually told the players. Mm-hmm. We finished the session and I said, uh, big news. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, we went into town, some of us, uh, not the players, but some of us went into town and um, just soaked it all up. There was a lot of drinking on the streets. There were no police or army to be seen. Completely peaceful, but there was lots of very dangerous drunk driving went on. And quite a number of people got killed actually mm-hmm. that night in accidents. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, very sad, but... But it was yeah, it was, it was it was incredible, and it was it was there was a couple of very big storms around that time as well. It was like an electrical storm, so it was, it was just a there was an energy to stuff that yeah. was going on. It's hard to yeah hard to describe a cocktail of uh, various things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, one thing I, I I wrote down when I was reading the book, and I thought I got I got to mention this was uh, there was the Mugabe is gone, Wenger is next sign. Yes. <laughs> was it something similar to that? Yeah, I, 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 I said let's 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 make a well. There, there'd been all these um, even on the day, um, the first day I think that um, Mugabe's house when he was under house arrest, there were there were signs in the street saying Wenger out. They weren't saying Mugabe out. They were trying to be ironic. <laughs> yeah. and they love their football. And Arsenal's probably the most popular club in in, in Zimbabwe. Yeah. So there was this great... They've got absolutely fantastic uh, humour in Zimbabwe, by the way. They're hilarious. Uh, dark humour. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's very funny. So I said, yeah, let's, let's, let's make this sign saying, yeah, Mugabe out, Wenger, you're next. Mm-hmm. I believe... Yeah, we took a photo with it, um, but it was my idea, and then... With just this, no, let's not put this out because, mm. yeah, it, it it makes us look political. We're not. It was just meant to be a joke, and uh, so we never did it. Mm. But it was my idea. Mm-hmm. I, I I think it would have gone viral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but, yeah. So, but we never did it. But that but that was interesting because one of the recurring themes throughout the book is, and I'm sure you don't mind me sort of asking, is there seems to be a level of. The, the political situation created a level of paranoia amongst people and. Um, that kind of so that kind of showed in not wanting to put even a picture like that out yeah. um, that you know people were so scared of of what the consequences of saying anything that might be even mildly you know critical yeah there's photos a um, couple of people took photos of me out on that night um, when when Mugabe, uh finally resigned uh, but they were never given to me right uh, because there was a fear that again it would be a political statement in some way which it wasn't you know it was pictures of me out when everybody was out in the streets of every creed mm-hmm. and colour um, so there is this constant there's this constant uh, paranoia of upsetting the authorities and this mm-hmm. comes you know if you had somebody in power for 40 years um, Mugabe's regime has got people in every section of society working for him mm-hmm. you know, spotters or whatever you want to call them they know what's going on everywhere mm-hmm. um, so there was a time when people used to disappear for saying things and um, 
people remember that or they know it happened to their parents and they're very they're very nervous about what they say and what they do so even when I told the lads that Mugabe had resigned the response was quite muted mm. because I think the lads were scared of scared of showing mm. um, how they must have felt I don't know I can't tell you how they felt but they everyone's everyone's very cautious of of, of what they say or do mm. um and you know at the end of the day we had a football team um which was about the football team and wasn't about politics so we we had to be so careful that we didn't um do do or say something that made it made it look like we were being political sure sure absolutely okay so go so I've, uh, I've talked a lot about politics there but going back to the football because that, that was why you were there but so you sort of you've arrived you've got this this set up you're, you're planning you're working towards the world cup in london um before the the fifa world cup um what's what's the kind of caliber of player how, how are you comparing the ability of the group of lads that you've got in that team and w- trying to work out how you'll get on at, at, at the world cup I was. We never really. We never knew where we stood because because they're very different kinds of players. Mm. You know, African players to suddenly play against um, European league players. It's hard to. It's hard to compare, um, and as they'd never played, our, our, our lads, are, most of them had never played anybody apart from Zimbabwean local teams. A couple of them have played against teams in Botswana and stuff, or even played in Botswana. But essentially, they. They'd only played a certain kind of football, certain kind of surfaces. So it's very hard to know. Mm. I knew from the first time I saw the lads and I saw how good their first touch was and how sensational their passing could be when the, when the, when the heads are in the right place, you know, 90, 95% passing completion rate mm. on any kind of pass. You know how good they are. Mm-hmm. But I also, saw this, I also saw these lads when they were dreadful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so we know football's a lot of it's played in the head, but I knew that I had certain players there who would definitely compete in London. One of them, one of them got injured during a tournament. We never saw, we never saw him really. We one lad got injured. We got hit by a car just before the tournament. Mm. He never played, uh, but a couple of the lads showed showed what they've got. Um, but I, I, yeah, honestly, we used to have this conversation, can we win this tournament? I said, well, we're not going to win the tournament because we can't go there with no experience and win a tournament. Playing on a different kind of surface, playing in new boots, etc. But can we get out? We, I think we thought we might get out of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, but going in to play Padania in the first game, you're playing arguably the best team at the tournament yeah. in your first ever proper international. Who had ex Syria. B, C players playing for yep. them. Yeah, yeah. Stankovic has played 80, 90 times for Lithuania. Mm-hmm. Um, played for Lazio, Sampdoria, I think. Um, most of the lads were playing Serie C or C, Serie D. So no mugs mm-hmm. at all, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so you know they're going to do you on experience. You know they're going to be smarter than you. Um, but you, but I but I also thought that technically we we could boss them at times and I thought that we would do them on fitness well we started to do them on fitness in the second half for sure but the lads you know, they were a bit rabbits in the headlights the first half um, after 30 minutes we just had a bad period and we ended up conceding mm. four goals in, in one period so the de- the, we knew the game was dead for us sure. but you know to go 6-0 down with still 
a lot of the game left. Yeah, yeah. You know what that can turn into. It can turn into a real, really yeah. embarrassment. But instead, what it what it became was us scoring a fantastic goal and almost scoring more goals. Yeah. Um, so losing six one could have been six three. Uh, was very respectable. Yeah. And we took that into the second game, and we started the second game against a team of the same level um, as the better team for 20, 20 minutes, I'd mm, say. Mm. So, I mean, actually getting to London was, although it was a part of the plan, there were so many logistical issues in terms of actually getting 20, 20 lads from uh, Matabili land out, out to London. Yeah. Just to start to explain some of those issues for us in terms of A, fundraising, and B, visas. I mean, that... The, the the sense I got from reading the book was you know that this wasn't just a full time job this was a full time two full time jobs almost that you were undertaking to to raise that level of cash I think you set a target of twenty thousand dollars yeah originally um, originally it was a hundred thousand I think um, and I said to them come on you know yeah a you're not going to raise it uh, b you don't need that much money and c if you if you put a figure like that no one's going to donate to you because they just they're not yeah. going to believe you're going to do it um, so we. We lowered it to the max, the minimum we could actually thought we could uh, work with. But really, what what happened is we looked at it and we said, "What's the cheapest we can possibly get a flight for? It's four hundred and fifty quid return, but we might have to pay up to six hundred depending on when we pay for that. So, if you call it six hundred pounds times twenty five people, there's fifteen thousand uh, pounds. Visas." Is probably another five thousand pounds. So there's there's twenty grand, um, UK, and then you've got the running costs um, of keeping the keeping the lads going day after day. Um, you you need some expenses for London. We we needed to fly in. I identified that we needed to fly at least a day earlier, and go out a day later. But we had to pay for the hotel rooms and stuff as well for London, transport. Um, so it's a lot of money mm-hmm. and, um, and and getting visas for getting UK visas is, is, is tough anyway mm-hmm. you know to apply for a visit visa to the UK there's a lot of paperwork uh, if you make any mistakes on it you're probably going to get rejected uh, it costs a lot of money it takes a lot of time you need so many pieces of information you need letters from this person that person you know Usually you need bank statements and, you know, in, in Zimbabwe, the banking sector's just kind of pretty much collapsed. Mm. So that's difficult. Mm. Um, I Thankfully, I wasn't, in, personally, I, I, I wasn't involved in a lot of the visa process or most of the visa process, thank God, because I think that would have sent me loopy <laughs> if, I didn't, if I didn't go loopy. Uh, but that, yeah, a lot of money in that. Mm. And we, yeah, the, the crowdfunding from from early January onwards, it just was a case of plugging away, being on the computer all the time. Um, I was in Europe for a couple of months uh, trying, to, trying to raise awareness and trying to crowdfund. And you asked me, you asked me off microphone, you know, how long, how long did I spend on Twitter yeah. and stuff? Well, you know, a lot of days, you switch the computer on at eight o'clock in the morning and you're off it midnight one o'clock in the morning and yeah you're not on it the whole day but you're on and off it the whole day yeah and there's periods where literally i'm on there for seven straight hours Mm. any single person that comments about matabililand i'm making sure i engage with them um share information with them um 
it got to a point where I actually had I had I had delirious dreams about emails. Mm. I I dreamt that I was stuck in an e- email inbox. I was a little person inside the inbox. I can see the dream. And I yeah. was running up and down. Yeah. The, the, the yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, that's what it did to me mentally. Because yeah. you just you, you, for something like that, you've 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 got to be fully committed the whole time, which you're not going to get there. Yeah. But the, you you cross a point where you can't give up because otherwise it, it's all been in vain. Yeah. For everyone. Yeah. 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 And I suppose aside from football, you've you've spoken about. I mean, I, I even texted you this morning to find out if you had a smartphone because I remember you saying in the book yeah. that you used to yeah. sort of didn't want a smartphone because no. that constant. And I completely understand that wanting to be once off, I was in Zimbabwe, I, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to switch off from it a bit. Um, yeah. Um, when I was, when I was in Europe, I was on my laptop the whole time. Um, the only time I, I had a break, I wanted to play football or something, and I didn't have a smartphone. I purposely did that. I went for a walk, whatever, and I was, I was left alone. When I got, when I got to Zimbabwe, that was, it was several factors as well. I, I, I also thought that. Um, it gave me an anonymity in a situation I wasn't sure about. Sure. Um, and yeah, I, I went into town in the second period of time I was in Zimbabwe, I went into town. I used to sit in, sit in hotel lounges and just be on my laptop mm-hmm. all day. Mm-hmm. But, but I needed to have a break from it. Mm-hmm. I needed to, I, I'm pleased I didn't have the smartphone in, in Zimbabwe. It did, it did give me a mental, mm-hmm. mental break from things. Mm-hmm. Mm. So you started to get a bit of publicity through the crowdfunding and everything, but a couple of big, well, several big names got involved in terms of publicity yeah. and wanting to sort of interview you and find out a bit more about the program. So a couple of the names that spring to mind were BBC World Service, yeah. wanting to do kind of in-depth stuff, um, Paddy Power and CNN. So those, I mean, those three organisations alone must have been huge in terms of generating awareness of your crowdfunding efforts and everything you were doing to raise this money. It's it, it's also it's um, mentally when when you start to get those kinds of names involved or interested, you know that you're going in the right direction. Yeah. So I knew that I got CNN coming in saying we're going to come out and make a documentary about you. I didn't believe they'd actually ever get into Zimbabwe. I didn't think they'd get the papers, but I knew they were deadly serious. And I, I knew also if they didn't get into Zimbabwe, they'd write a story about not getting into Zimbabwe. So <laughs> sure. that might even be better for us. Yeah. But I knew that. I knew they were interested in the story. I knew the BBC World were interested in the story. My local paper wasn't interested in the story, mm. but but I knew that when big institutions, international media houses were were interested, <coughs> that we had we had a story to tell. Um, Paddy Power, um, we agreed um, for them to to provide the shirts for the team, the match shirts, and when we got that, we knew that was a lot of money because actual match shirts the whole kit um, it, it's you know it's, it's worth a couple of grand actually um, and we knew off the back of that we could use the publicity of the very interesting uh, campaign they have for the shirt design competition mm. we knew that Paddy Power having that competition was also going to be massive in terms of awareness of the team engage people um, I mean, there were some amazing kits. Our, our kits that we ended up with were, were, were wonderful. Yes. Some people say they're some of the best kits they've ever seen. Uh, yeah. But some of the kits who didn't didn't win were equally amazing. Yeah. You know, I had a couple of kits that I preferred that never that didn't win. Right. Um, but 
the awareness that also then allowed us to kickstart selling shirts we got a pretty decent deal um with a company from up this way VSN. yeah 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 um, they also make the uh, glasgow on the ball shirts yeah lovely shirts they, they did a fantastic job for us um worked plugged away because we didn't have the proper designs i made their life a nightmare and i always feel very sorry for jamie what, yeah what i put jamie through yeah but jamie he provided fantastic shirts for us um i think they look better than the match shirts actually the replicas so that says a lot says a lot for the quality um and we got a really good price and you know that that enabled us. I think we we might have, we might have made four or five thousand out of those shirts towards our target. Mm-hmm. So it's. I said to Bisani, we've got to have we've got to have fifty different ways of of, of trying to get this money. You can't yeah. just say let's bring in a big sponsor because we're not going to get one. Let's get five hundred pounds from that. Let's get two grand from that. Let's save ourselves five grand by having the kit provided for us. There's all these things you do. Bruce Grabler brought in the boots for us. Yeah, etc. etc. Yeah, I was going to get on to to Bruce so. What what kind of stage of the proceedings did you have that come? How did that even come about with Bruce Gobbler becoming involved and becoming a Matabili Land coach? I we're coming up. I think it's almost a year ago uh, that I met Bruce um, in uh, a service station on the M6 near Wolverhampton. Um, so I I just sent him an email because we identified Bruce as. You know the biggest biggest legend in Zimbabwe football. Yeah. Biggest, biggest legend in Matabili football. Um, and I know that he cares about his homeland. Cares about uh, Bulawayo, where where he started his football career. And I I thought that I might be able to get him in. Um, I didn't expect him to respond so quickly and so positively. So yeah, we met up approximately a year ago, March last year. And um, I met him, and he said, "Yeah, I'll come in and I'll, I'll, I'll support you. I'll, I can be your brand ambassador." Uh, at which point, I said, "Can I be? Can I be a bit cheeky? Can I ask you to be a goalkeeper coach?" And he said, "Yeah, I'll do that for you." Um, I also planned to have him as the third or fourth cho- fourth choice, probably, but possibly third choice keeper. I didn't tell him that at the time, but I had that in my head. I thought, "But I won't." Yeah, I won't, push my, I won't push my luck now. Yeah. <laughs> but immediately I thought... I, I, that would be great, yeah. I, I yeah. could just see the opportunity. Yeah. Just let alone it's a beautiful yeah. thing. Just let alone the, the awareness it would create for the yeah. team again. So yeah, he agreed. Um, he couldn't be out in Zimbabwe with us, or, uh, sadly, but um, he joined us in London. And mm-hmm. it was... A, it was it was yeah phenomenal to have mm-hmm. Bruce involved. Mm-hmm. And, and I suppose two benefits that that brought. One, one was the awareness and publicity that his involvement gave you but secondly the experience I guess it gave the lads and what, what, what was he like in the changing room and uh, what kind of what kind of uh, benefits did he bring to the team when when the lads flew in to London um, we went down to the team hotel so I, I came back a couple of days before them so I was at the team hotel first person was there um, was 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 Bruce and his friend Tony and he was ready to greet greet the players. Mm. Um, so you know they arrived in London, came in. There's there's Bruce Grobler. What do you think the other teams thought mm-hmm. when they turned up in London and they saw they saw Bruce Grobler sitting there um, with um, goalkeeper gloves, professional goalkeeper gloves, and boots, New Balance boots from Liverpool, 
to give to our players, our players turn up in their tracksuits that we managed to sort out looking the absolute business. Mm. People were just, wow, what, you know, they were actually, it intimidated people. Yeah. They were suddenly like, oh my God, we, we thought these were kind of almost like a, you know, a joke team, but this is a team we all feel sorry for. Yeah. And now we think, oh, we, I'm not sure we want to play this lot. Yeah. So he, he gave us that presence, but yeah, he, he's, he's got unbelievable charisma. Um, he's a lot of fun. Uh, he's serious, deadly serious when he needs to be. Um, he's the the experience. I don't know where you can even start to talk about what he's achieved in the game. So, um, I mean, one story is when when we when we played Padania in the first game, he got down to Sutton United's ground um, one two hours before the team. Mm-hmm. So he drove down. Mm-hmm. With our kit man Chris Dolman, they they just went down there, got in the changing room, and we stole the we stole the because we were the away team, but he stole the home team's changing room from Padania to get in their heads. Right. Uh, and he put coat hangers up for every player, got all the shirts up, had a towel for each each player. Uh, he had a carton of coconut juice, coconut water for each player shin pads whatever so he had all this lined up so when the lads arrived it looked absolutely amazing yeah you know yeah. look you took pictures of it and you just think this is a premier league team or championship yeah. team here yeah with bruce grobbler sat in there yeah and, but dania were they were properly wound up apparently yeah. i hear i heard they got really upset you know the italian team <laughs> you know <laughs> their changing rooms being nicked bruce yeah. grobbler's in there and um yeah it, the, that's that's the kind of kind of stuff that he brought to brought to us as well. A bit of gamesmanship, yeah. bit of gamesmanship, yeah. But he was out in the car as soon as the team arrived. He was out in the car park, dance. The, the lads were singing and dancing, and and and, and Bruce, he, I don't know, his knees aren't quite as good as they used to be, but he was, <laughs> he was down, he was down dancing with them. It was, it was fantastic. I mean, that's uh, they. So we're, we're, I suppose we've, we've maybe skipped a bit. So you, you you've. Um, You've raised the funds, although albeit incredibly stressful. However, you hit a snag in that a couple of days before you're due to leave, you have every single visa rejected, which must have... What was your initial reaction when you heard that? We were waiting for the visa. I mean, the applications went in a bit later than I would have would have liked, but it's but it's difficult and, and the lads are doing something they've never done before. But they still went in plenty, plenty of time. Yeah. Off the top of my head, they'd been in about five weeks, four weeks, five weeks. So we'd gone way past the point where we should have had the answers. So this became very worrying because why are they not telling us? But all the other Conifer teams had had their visas. Even, even uh, I think, Tibet, had, they'd got unemployed players who hadn't even got passports. And I think they all managed to get the paperwork and to get the visas. So we were we were thinking we're going to get these actually but then mm-hmm. as, as as you get to the point where we're not getting an answer i'm starting to think this ain't happening for some reason here bisani and the, the, the and kanye are saying no it's all going to be fine you've got to stay positive believe and then i suddenly have this call um with paul watson at conifer who's been speaking um he, he's he's got people speaking to the home office and the message is the unofficial message because of course at this point it's not a final decision mm. but the, the message is it looks like all the visas have been rejected mm. and I'm sorry all 
he says it looks like all of them have been rejected. So I have to go back. I have to make the phone call to Busani and say, I, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but we're not going, mm. you know. And this is, what, four days before we're due to fly or something. And you just can't. Mm. You just... Haven't you, gone through all of that. You can't believe it. You can't and... believe it. I, I, I went home. Um, you know, sometimes you have really bad things happen to you in life, but they somehow work out better than you. They work. They somehow work their way through. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can go the other way as well. So I kind of went home and I thought, this isn't done yet. But I went to bed that night and I pulled the blanket over my head and I, I thought, I don't want to wake up tomorrow morning, really, because I know I'm going to... And I woke up with that sinking realisation. You know when you've done something really wrong and you wake up to, oh, no, did I really do that? It was like that. I woke up to, oh, no. Oh, no. We really... We're screwed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... I just said let's let's not give up let's let's play the game and we 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 played I, I played a bit of a game um it I believed that it wasn't the end I believed that we could get some players through still I thought that we could pull together a few players in London mm-hmm. uh, there were there were lads in London we were aware of we just wanted to keep it to mostly to lads from who were based in Bulawayo and in the in the area of Matabingland but I still thought that we were playing a tournament. I think that was the difference between me and everyone else at that point. Mm-hmm. And I also thought for Connie, for I don't know what they do here if a team's pulled out. It's very, it's very awkward. Mm. So, yeah, a series of things went on. Um, we suddenly got to a point where I think we had potentially eight players with visas or 13 players at another point. Uh, I got Bruce Groblar involved at that point. Bruce was was actually flying from Canada to the UK to get ready. I mean, Liverpool were playing in the Champions League. He was going back for that, but then he was going to be there for us. Mm-hmm. So I told him he couldn't believe it. He was he was he was quite angry about it. He said, "I'll speak to the president." So I had this very surreal conversation with Bruce Gobelar in Canada from Zimbabwe, and he say, "I'm going to float, phone up the president of Zimbabwe." He gets back to me on Skype and says, the president's saying this, is, he's, this isn't his doing, which we kind of thought it might have been at the right. time. So suddenly there we've got the president, the new president, Munangagwa, um, seemingly on our side. Um, so you're obviously starting to think we've got a chance here. But the time's ticking, and then we discover. Then we discover that there's a working. That it, it's a it's a working holiday in South Africa where our passports are. So we've lost one of our days we've got left. Mm. And it's a Friday, and then we're into the weekend, and we're flying, and we suddenly we've just got a handful of hours left. And then I kind of go with this. I go with this uh, blag that I say that we've got a, a letter from the president. Um, if we get a letter from the president, do we get visas? And of course, the Home Office are pretty much yeah, of course. Um, but it's 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 a black. I, I believe that we can get that letter, but I kind of white lie it. And within a couple of hours, we've got all the visas. Uh, but no <laughs> we haven't got the letter. But then there's of course there's a process to yeah. then push to get this letter. Yeah. Um, which gets very surreal. But at that point, we know, well, we think we're going. We yeah. suddenly, the, the, passports, the yeah. passports are turned, we, we suddenly, then the flights, we lose all the flights, we have to pull that round, we have to find the money. We it, uh, 
so many things happened. It was just an absolute nightmare. Mm. Um, but suddenly I'm in, I, I travel ahead of the team because I'm flying home two days earlier. I'm in South Africa and I'm, I've drink, I've drank the best part of a bottle of wine and I'm phoning up Colonel Moyo, head of the armed forces <laughs> to try and ask for this piece of paper. Yeah. Uh, uh, thank God I didn't get through to him. Um, <laughs> This must have all, looking back, this must also be slightly surreal. Oh, I, 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 at the time, I just, I, I yeah, I, I, I just remember laughing so much that I made, I made, uh, I made myself snot out of my nose. I was, I was laughing that much. Uh, we got the paper in the end. Uh, we got it, I think, almost when they were getting on the plane. Right. So we got the visas, we got the paper, we knew, we knew we were fine. And of course, I, it was only when they actually got through the customs I got the phone call I knew we were in. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we went. We basically went from twenty six. We went from twenty six nil down to twenty six nil up. So yeah, it yeah. Was, it was a hell of a turnaround. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's quite incredible when you when you read about it. And I wasn't aware of that aspect of the visas when I was reading the book. So that's, how they were they going to turn this around? As you say, had a hell of a second half. Um, but uh, so. What, what what was the first impressions of some of the lads that were coming to the UK? I mean, all of them for all of them, this was their first time, wasn't it? They looked nervous when they turned up. They looked tired. I mean, they they they'd never been on long haul flights before. Yeah. Um, they travelled all the way down from Bulawayo to Johannesburg. They'd had to spend a couple of days in Johannesburg. They'd spent a lot of time in the airport. I mean, they they'd been travelling three or four days to get to London, so they were knackered, and they knew they were starting a tournament within thirty six hours or something. Um, and obviously they're in London, you know, uh, uh, and they're in a team hotel and it was a bit of a, and they hadn't eaten, you know, mm. for quite a few hours and suddenly we realised we hadn't got a budget for food and mm. we had to sort that out. Um, but the next day we went down, we suddenly, we've got, um, you know, it's a team hotel, the lads have got tracksuits on from the various, from, you know, Tibet, Punjab, whatever, they're walking around. Um it's suddenly it's an international tournament you know you know it's real the the lads they can go and eat what they want yeah uh, we're going off to train at Hendon's ground Bruce Gobelar's down uh, we're being put in taxis we're going down there doing the session we've got international media TRT World Turkish television came down and filmed us um, suddenly it's it's it's, it's, bonk, it's bonkers for me so mm. I can never tell you what they must really have thought mm. It just must have been like some weird dream mm. for them, but but they're humble, uh, genuine lads, and it didn't. I I didn't see that it changed them. I didn't see anybody there that suddenly thought they were the man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They 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 stayed who they were, and that's why everyone loved them. That's why they were shaking hands with everybody after the games. That's why they were singing and dancing, whether we lost six one or whether we won three one. Mm. Um, when we took them out in London, that was, yeah, a great privilege to be able to take them out and yeah, have a team photo in front of Buckingham Palace, uh, have people coming up and taking selfies with the babies and mm-hmm. with their babies and stuff. It was it was amazing. Yeah, mm, I bet, I bet. So, in terms of the actual tournament, I mean, unfortunately, the first two games don't end quite as you like yeah. you sort of mentioned. But from then on, it's pretty pretty special for the team. Um, 
I think you played six games in total, was it? Or yeah. F- yeah, and you won four of them. Won three, drew one. Won three and drew one, sorry. So that must have been an unbelievable experience for them to, to get to privilege that, I guess. So we, we, we've, we've lost 6-1 against... They didn't win the tournament, arguably the best team in the tournament, the European champions. We lose 5-0 in the second game in a game that we were, I thought, bossing until our goalkeeper got sent off. Um, but then we go into the third game knowing that we can't qualify for the knockout mm. um, and we're playing a country and we said we, we knew we had CNN coming down for the last part of the documentary for example and I told CNN I said look we're going to win this come down film this because it's going to make great television you, you filmed us in Bulawayo and the end of the film is going to be us beating a country so in a way I think we'd always we'd always had that focus that would that, that day in truth was going to be the day yeah the stadium was packed. We had a lot of lot of fans singing for us. Um, we should have put the game to bed. We we were the much better team, but then but then Tuvalu came again. Uh, it was two one for a long time. Tuvalu should have got should have come back to two two. Mm. The truth. Mm. Uh, and then we scored. We, we scored a penalty right near the end, and the lads did their their very special celebration by the corner flag, and we we'd won three one and. Um, yeah, I mean that's a day that all of us involved will never forget. Yeah, um, beating a country. I mean, what can you what can you say? Yeah. You know? uh, and after that, yeah, we went into the placement games. We drew against Kabilia nil nil. We lost penalties, but on the, technically on the pitch, we we drew. Um, we we then. Um, we won the game against the Chagos Islands and we won the game against the uh, Tamil Lam. So, yeah, we ended up with, on the pitch, three three wins, one draw, two defeats. And we didn't concede because in the... We didn't concede in the last three games. Yeah. So we'd gone from, from conceding 11 goals in the first two games or 12 goals in the first two and a half games to not conceding a goal for three and a half games. Yeah. Which is quite itself, impressive, yeah, yeah, very much so. Against, of course, not not such a good caliber of teams, but yeah, but impressive yeah. nevertheless, yeah. yeah, very much so. So that that's, I mean, that, they they seem to be to me, looking at the Confucio uh, World Cup, they were kind of like the standout. They were the special story, Matabili Land. They just seemed to have this kind of magic around them and presence and. And I mean, so now, now it's a few months on from that. Are you still in contact with the guys? How how's the relationship? How are they getting on? Do you know? Uh, they're doing really great. They've got a tour planned. They're coming to England uh, to play, mostly around Yorkshire. I think it's June, June or July. Uh, so I hope I hope that goes ahead. That'll be fantastic. They're playing you know, a couple of the world's oldest football teams. Um, they played in the Human Rights Cup, the inaugural Human Rights Cup in uh, Johannesburg back in December. They find they they formed the Matabeleland ladies team, so it's one of the few Conifer teams that currently has a women's team. Great, uh, and they went to Johannesburg and they played their first the their first yeah. games. Great, and I believe that team will go and play. The women's team will go and play in the first Women's World Cup whenever uh-huh. that's whenever that's held in the next year or two. So I expect them to be an African representative, and with with a year or two's of development, I think they'll be challenging for that. I would Great. imagine. Uh, the lads are yeah, they're still active. They're playing all the time. Um, they're determined to qualify. It's going to be tough to qualify because there's more teams that want to be part. But the next World Cups in Somaliland and um, 
provided that they get there, I think they'll be challenging because Somaliland, it could be 33, 34 degrees, some of those games. Yeah. So it'll be well I think if they're playing Padania on one of those pitches in Somaliland, uh, a couple of years on from where they were at, with, with some better players coming in, I, I think that they'll be close to winning that tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I well, think things are developing well. They've got a brand new, sh- they've got a new shirt uh, through Leyburn Sports this year. They, they produced another shirt. Um, the crowd, the, the, the crowd base, the social media is very active. More and more people like the team. I think the book's good for them because yeah. it's spreading awareness of the team yeah. even further. Yeah. Um, so lots of people are taking an interest in Matabililand through the book as well. So, I think the the, the future is very very positive for the team. Yeah. And what about you? What's what what's next for you? So, moving on from the the last game, you made your international appearance. Having having been an international manager, you were then an international player. Yeah. What, but what's next for you? What are you gonna do next, Justin? This year, I, I mean, I I got the book. Uh, I I I found a publisher. Benny and Kearney I was very happy I wanted to tell the story um, actually writing a novel you I don't you'd call this a novel but I write writing a book's been on my list for 20 years that piece of paper we talked about and I keep putting it on that piece of paper uh-huh. so I've achieved that that was big for me and I've been determined to spend the first part of this year just promoting the book um, and seeing how far I can take it mm-hmm. so that's been very interesting in itself I've 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 been on again on the BBC World Service. I've been a lot of the BBC regional, Manchester, Sheffield, uh, Leicester, Northampton, what have you. Uh, love sport radio. Uh, spoke a great football adventure. So it's been an adventure in itself. And being up here, coming up to Scotland and, and, and meeting yourself, and up here obviously to talk about what Africa on the Ball is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been a this been a, a, a another adventure that's come out of all of this. Um, my next big thing I'm, I'm going out to Brazil for the Copper America I'm going to travel around Brazil a little bit um, and then I'm looking at in the months leading up to the end of the Copper America I'm hope, hoping to have a gig to mm-hmm. go to probably in, in, in August mm-hmm. uh, or September but at the moment I'm not sure what that will be you're open minded about where that yeah, will be and yeah. what that I'd, will look I'd, like I'd, if, if people want to approach me and offer me something I'd certainly consider it um wherever in the world that might be um, whatever kind of football it might be men's women's kids football I don't mind um, but I also have some ideas in, in mind there's there's Connie for tournaments coming up as well I might look at mm-hmm. getting involved with there's a couple of teams that I've had a sort of a, a quiet word with I won't say anything more than that <laughs> um, I thought we might get some gossip there about <laughs> uh, an exclusive no, not at this stage. Um, it's it's too much of a quiet word, and and in the world of the world of Connie, for it's uh, it's too early doors. Sure, I think. sure. Um, so yeah, possibly that. Oh, will I even stay in football? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I quite like the idea of um, giving giving talks, going going into schools and universities, maybe, and talking about what I've done. And I, I went up to Preston Uni. I, I gave a. I was a guest speaker at um, University of Lancashire, okay. which was a great honour. And quite a few of the students came to me afterwards and said it really um, motivated them and wanted them to. They're going. They, some of them are going out to Zambia and Morocco and places like that, and it, um, it it's helped them in what it, focusing on what they're going to do mm-hmm. and, and, and wanting to do more. Mm-hmm. So, I'm 
you never know where things things are going to lead you. So mm-hmm. may, maybe maybe going in and, and, and doing speaking related to this, mm-hmm. uh, maybe doing a second book could be interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm open. I'm open to ideas. At the end of the day, I, I think for me, life's about it's about being happy. Mm-hmm. That sounds sounds very simplistic, and uh, yeah, of course. But I don't. I don't think people always think that way. I don't. Mm-hmm. I think people are thinking I've got to have this career, or I've got to have this thing, or whatever. And I think for me, if I'm going through a period in my life where I'm not happy, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, then I'm going to change it. I think. Um, at the moment, I feel happy. I'm 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 living with my mum, and you might say, 48 years old, living with his mum. What's that about? That sounds sounds boring. It's not boring. I'm loving being home, spending the time with my mum, seeing my nieces, catching up with a load of mates, and and, and doing stuff in the UK. And um, as long as I'm happy, I don't mind. I, I I could I could even quit football and do something completely different. I don't mm. I don't care too much. I have to say, I absolutely love your approach to life and your your ethos, absolutely. and that really shines through in the book. Actually, I think that, and I and I really enjoyed the book. Uh, I think I read it in two days, or wow. two or two or three days, which is oh, probably gosh. the quickest I've ever read any book. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it, and um, so for anybody that would be interested in buying it, where where can they go and get it? It's um, it's not in the shop, so you have to buy it online. So um, the the easiest way to pick it up is just to go on Amazon. So one football no nets, just just have a look uh, on there, um, and you'll find it. Um, it. It goes out literally in a day, so you can have it the following day, two days later. Um, so yeah, um, it, very very pleased being very good reviews. People people seem to, seem to enjoy it. Um, so I'm very happy about that. Uh, just, I had that question in my mind would I rather make lots of money and, and people say it's a stinker of a book or have a great book and not, not sell so many but I'm I'm very very happy uh, that people like it mm-hmm. and you know I've had a couple of people message me who I've never met before never heard of before and said this book is inspiring me to mm-hmm. kind of chase things in my life that I didn't I, was, I wasn't going to try and chase sure. and, and that in itself makes this all worthwhile yeah you know yeah um so i'm i'm, I'm very pri- i feel very privileged to be able to, to to produce a book and get it out there yeah actually. well i can't recommend it enough and just the 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 way you've written it and the, the kind of style you've written it in the kind of di- diary format very easy to digest and you get a real sense of what it's like being there so um Good luck with it, and thank you so much for for coming up to visit us and yeah. giving your time to talk. To thank us. you very much. Thanks for having me on, and respect what what you you guys are doing with Africa on the ball as well. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Cheers. So there we have it. That was Justin Wally, author of One Football No Nets, the story of how Justin took Matabili Land to the Kenefa World Cup last summer fascinating story hopefully you'll agree and as i said at the intro if you were keen to get a hold of a copy of justin's book um, please do check out amazon otherwise there's a competition currently on the africa on the ball twitter account which is at africa on the ball and full details will be on their page and we'll put them in the program notes as well if you want to follow the link there um thank you very much for listening to this week's episode just to look forward to next week's episode we're going to be at the everything to play for conference which is going to be held at hamden park um this is an event 
uh, co-sponsored by Club Development Scotland, which is our partner um, consultancy arm of Supporters Direct Scotland. And this is an event being organised on International Women's Day to promote and celebrate women's football in Scotland. We're going to be looking at the past and the history of the game in Scotland, where we're currently at with the game in Scotland and what the future holds for the future of women's football. So it's going to be a great event and tickets are still available. So we're here to make sure you can get your ticket if you want to come next Friday. So that's the 8th of March at Hamden Park. Um, and the the link will also be in the program notes to this week's episode. We'll also be promoting details on social media and the Club Development Scotland Twitter account, which is at Club Dev D E V Scott. So please do go and check that out if you're interested. There's still tickets available, and we look forward to seeing you there. Otherwise, you'll be hearing a roundup of next week's conference on next week's Behind the Goals podcast. So uh, you'll hear from from us then. Anyway, until then, have a great week. Behind the Goals is a Supporters Direct Scotland podcast. You can get in touch with the show by emailing behindthegoals at hotmail.com or you can also tweet the show at SupDirectScott. That's S-U-P-P Direct Scott. (laughs) 